This morning, well, you know, uh, yesterday was a great day, but P3 on Wednesday was out of this world. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yeah. P3 was phenomenal. Praise God. Yeah. Uh, can we give the Lord a praise for yeah. what He did? P3. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, have we received the offering? We done. All right, stand up. We're going to pray. Going to believe God for wisdom for you and for me today in Jesus' name. Father God, we come before your throne today, um, and we ask for that teaching anointing to flow accurately. Um, I ask you to bring to mind all that we've studied, and that I can present it clearly today uh, in a simple way so that the people can grasp and understand the truths that I have received that are so exciting and so faith-building. And I believe, Lord, that every heart is ready to receive, minds are ready to act on it. And Father God, we are going to receive from the Holy Spirit today understanding about what you're doing in the earth at this time in Jesus' precious name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So um, I really hope that you have brought something to to make notes with. Um, And I really want you to focus in the very beginning, uh, because I'll be setting the stage for you, giving you some foundation things as we will build towards the end. And so you'll just stay focused. I'm sure once you get focused, you'll, you'll stay focused, once you get focused. But I, I, do, want to, I, I do want to give recognition uh, to some great pastors and authors that I researched and they have done the work. They've done the legwork. I'm standing on their shoulders today, um, extracting from their books that I've read. I want to draw attention to people like Pastor Jimmy Evans, Tipping Point, uh, Pastor Mark Bultz from Al Shaddai Ministries, uh, Perry Stone, also from uh, Manifest, and Ray Bentley, the late, great Ray Bentley from Maranatha. And uh, we love these men and It's just awesome. So today, what are we going to talk about? I'm going to discuss the signals that God is sending concerning the return of Jesus, the resurrection of the dead, and the rapture of His bride. I'm going to talk about today the blood moons and the connection to the feasts of Israel and why they are important to us. I'm going to talk about undeniable signs that were foretold hundreds of years ago, specifically regarding Israel, that have been fulfilled, and some are still being fulfilled right now. Then I also want to give you some astounding prophecies that have been fulfilled to the very day, let me just say this, actually to the very hour, to the very hour. So let me introduce you as we get started to God's sign language. And we begin this in Genesis 1 and verse 14. The scripture says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons. Say signs and seasons. 
and days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And so it was, uh, and, and, and was so. <clears throat> You'll notice that the reason that the uh, lights, the stars, the moon, the, and so on were given was not primarily for light. They were first given for signs and seasons, and then also for light. And we need to put that in the right perspective and the right order. You see the word signs here, the Hebrew word is the word oath, and I believe I got it up. I might have it on a slide for you. There it is. And what does it mean? It means a signal or a banner or a signpost. The word season in this verse is the Hebrew word moed, and it means a feast, appointed times, or sacred season. Not to be confused with our Western seasons when we celebrate summer and uh, fall and spring and, and winter and so on. It's not referring to that. It's referring to something different. It's referring to an appointed time or a sacred season. In other words, I could say this. God created the stars, the moon, and the sun for signs as signposts for sacred seasons and appointed times. And that will help you understand it. I'll give you a quick example. When Jesus was born, there was a star that appeared. It was a sign. And it led the wise men to Jesus, did it not? Now, that's, that star wasn't only visible to the wise men. It was visible to everybody. Everybody could see it. Some didn't care. They didn't care. Some were ignorant. What does it mean? Okay? They didn't, they, they didn't know what it means. And also, some weren't even watching for it. The wise men were watching for it. So please understand what I'm trying to share with you today is going to be faith-building and inspire you to watch. You're not going to be of the ignorant party, and you're not going to be of the group that says, I don't care. The very fact that you're here in church this morning means you care, and you want to know. Amen? So pat yourself on the back. No, ask somebody else to pat you. Okay. Now, I believe that this generation right now that we're in is being warned by God. He is giving signs that Jesus prophesied are coming to pass. So Jesus said this was going to happen right now. There would be signs. In Luke 21 and verse 25, Jesus said there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. Okay? Jesus said it. Signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then he said on earth, there's going to be anguish. The nations on earth will be in anguish and there'll be perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea, men's hearts failing them. Now, I used the Strong's word there out of the Strong's uh, dictionary for the word failing because the NIV says fainting. But you could say this, that men's hearts will run out of air. They will not be able to breathe. They will literally have heart attacks because of fear, terror, terror of things that are happening on the earth. If we just look at COVID, that fits perfectly into that already. Men's hearts are failing. People are dying of heart attacks. 
People are so afraid they're running out of air. And terror has swept the world. Jesus said there would be perplexity among the nations of the world. And he said, apprehension of what is coming on the world. For the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now watch verse 27 very carefully. It said, at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and great glory. Now what I just want you to know, and I put there in in your notes for you, that that segment, verse 27, doesn't refer to the rapture. It refers to the second coming at the end of the Great Tribulation. For those of you who haven't studied eschatology, there's a difference between the rapture and the second coming. People get confused and they think the rapture is the second coming. It is not the second coming. Jesus will not land on the earth. We will be taken off the earth, so he's not a coming to the earth, if you understand what I'm saying. But he's going to come at the end of the great tribulation. So it says here, at that time, you'll see the Son of Man coming in cloud with power and great glory. So it's referring to the end of the great tribulation period. Now watch what Jesus says in verse 28. When these things begin to take place, everybody say begin. begin. When they begin to take place, stand up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. You see, your redemption is not complete until you have been uh, uh, formed in the image of Jesus. Your body has turned into a glorified body, and you're with Jesus. Up until then, your redemption is ongoing. It hasn't been completed. But when we see Jesus, our redemption will be complete. So Jesus said, <clears throat> when you see these things begin to take place, what was the first thing he said? He said there would be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's what he started with. And he said, when you see these things begin to take place, then look up, your redemption is close at hand. Now, let's look at Joel's prophecy. We've seen it many times concerning the end times um, and the signs at the end times. In Joel 2.28, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. On my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Pentecost marked the beginning of the end times, according to Peter. When Peter quotes this, he says, and it shall be in the end times. At the end times, it's going to happen. So we know that at the Feast of Pentecost, the end times began with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, Joel is going to go on to say, that the signs in heaven will be before the dreadful day of the Lord and the day of judgment. And that refers to the tribulation, not to the rapture of the bride. However, Joel says it will happen before. And he doesn't say or stipulate that it must happen during the tribulation. And I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm just uh, you know picking on certain words, but it's Every word in the Bible is very important. When the man says before, then he doesn't mean at. He means before, right? So Joel says, before the day of the Lord, the dreadful day of the Lord, the day of judgment. 
I used to believe that the day of judgment of the Lord was the last day of the great tribulation. I now believe that the whole seven-year period is the day of the Lord. That the whole week, Daniel's 70th week, is the judgment day of God. It's all. And I've come to understand that in studying because I realized that when the seals are being opened and the trumpets are being blown, the vials are being poured out, it didn't only happen the last three and a half years. It happened sometime in the, in the first three and a half years. And it's all God's judgment of, what's, of the people on the earth who have rejected Jesus. So it is a seven-year period of judgment, even though it is a period of grace, because people who are alive at that time, who haven't received Jesus, can receive Jesus if they want to. They can still call out to Jesus and be saved. So God's grace is still available. The Holy Spirit is still available. So the last seven-year period is, in fact, God's judgment and God's grace. Because let me tell you something. God's grace has been extended to these people so they don't go to hell. Hell is a lot worse than seven years tribulation. Hello. Okay. So now, uh, I've got a nice little uh, image I want to show you. Quotation from Joel. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. That's what Joel said. Now we'll read it in the scripture. The sun will be turned to darkness, that is in an eclipse, and the moon to blood. Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then the scripture says, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we read that over quite glibly. But let me just say to you, that is a sign. It's a sign of the last days. That people are being saved. Those who are calling upon the name of the Lord are being saved. He says it's going to happen. So it's a prediction. It's a prophecy. It is a promise. And it is a move of God. So what Joel prophesied and predicted as a promise and a move of God is that people will be getting saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord, that is a sign. If you know somebody who's, been getting, who's just got recently saved, it is a sign of that being fulfilled right now. Now, miraculous signs have already occurred in the earth, in the heavens, and I want to talk about it. The first one I want to talk to you today, and the one I'm going to focus on, is called blood moons, the blood moon tetrads. Now, the blood moon tetrads was discovered by Mark Blitz. Let me just explain that a little bit. <clears throat> he was the one who drew the analogy between the blood moons they were called tetrads, all right? They were called tetrads by NASA. But he discovered the association and the link between the blood moons and the holy feast days of Israel. NASA didn't discover that. Mark Blitz did that in 2008. That was recently, just recently. Now, FYI, a lunar eclipse, a lunar eclipse, is a blood moon because what happens is the earth gets between the sun and the moon. The earth gets between the two. So the light from the sun is not hitting the moon, which usually gives us the light at night. So there's a shadow on the moon, 
And because the light rays are longer, it turns red. So it, it is not really a phenomena. It happens on a frequent basis. FYI, a new moon, a new moon is when we have a, uh, uh, let me say it this way. A new moon is the only time that you can have a solar eclipse. And a full moon is the only time you can have a lunar eclipse. The Jewish calendar is based on new moons and full moons. We can adjust the heat again. It's getting a little warm. Thank you. It clicked on or off? To make it hot or cold? Okay, thank you. Solar eclipse would be good right now. All right, so the Jewish calendar doesn't work with our calendar. It's completely different. That's really God's calendar. And they work off the new moon. The beginning of their month is the new moon. So NASA determined or decided that when there are four lunar eclipses and they happen back-to-back in a two-year period, they called it a tetrad. They called it a tetrad. All right? So now what you have is you have a, a full blood moon and then a year later you have another full blood moon and it happens two years in a row back to back. But you have two per year. Now the interesting thing is what Mark Spitz uh, 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 found out is that when they fall on Jewish holy days then we have something special going on. And that's what's, that is the point that I'm trying to make here. They fall on, get this, the Feast of Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. Both times. Two years back to back. Now, is it merely a coincidence? Or is there something significant that goes, is going on? Well, if you look at what was happening to Israel at the time of these blood moon tetrads, you are going to be surprised. Quick reminder what Peter said. I just want to remind you the blood moons. Peter said this, quoting Joel in Acts chapter 2, in verse 20, he says, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the obvious day of the Lord, uh, and the great and, and notable conspicuous day of the Lord. There is a third reference to blood moons, and it is found in Gen, uh, in Revelations 6.12. The only thing is this. The one found in Revelation 6.12 is, I believe, a result of the opening of the sixth seal that causes a humongous earthquake. It is not because of the lunar eclipse. Something else causes it. And I believe that the uh, great earthquake sends up dust. And the dust is what causes the eclipse and the blood moon. So it is not a blood moon of this type that we're talking about, but it is, it is a blood moon. So now let me go back historically and talk to you about the tetrads. There have only been 10 since the crucifixion of Christ. 10. And the first one happened in A.D. 70 and 71. Anybody know what happened in 1771? Destruction of Israel and Jerusalem. 
the Romans attacked, destroyed the temple, burnt down the city of Jerusalem, and took Jews captive, took them to Rome as slaves, and made them build the Colosseum in which they themselves would be martyred and had to fight lions and animals and everything else. That's where the Jews died. As that era broke down, the literal marble and rock from the Colosseum was carted away throughout Europe and was used to build churches. Uh, taken out of Rome. Taken out of Rome, thank you. They were taken out. The, the stone from the Colosseum was taken out across Europe to build churches. Very interesting. Right. The next one I want to draw your attention to was 633 years later. It happened in 860 and 861. So you can see they're not frequent. They're very infrequent. I'm talking about the four blood moons, two years in succession. The next one happened in 1493 and 1494. Now, what was important about this one? The Spanish Inquisition occurred one year before. This is where, in 1942, uh, in 1492, got the dates wrong then, King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella of Spain gave the Jews four months to convert to Catholicism or leave Spain. And it said about 165,000 to 400,000 Jews fled from Spain, around 50,000 stayed, and converted from Judaism to Catholicism. Then the Spanish Inquisition started. The Spanish Inquisition is where they, uh, they, they tested the faith of those who claimed to have converted. So they tortured them because they didn't believe that they'd actually converted. So they tortured them until they confessed that they hadn't converted, and then they burnt them at the stake. 50,000. That is the year that is the year that Columbus, who is said to be Jewish, left Spain looking for a new homeland for Spain, looking for a new homeland for the Jews, and found America. And we had a tetrad, four blood moons at that time. Coincidence? Maybe not. And then, since then, there's only been three. So going back to, uh, to 1493, there's only been three. So the next one occurred after that, 450 years later. So get this, 633 years, then there was a tetrad, and then 450 years. So it's an infrequent, very rare event. The next tetrad occurred in 1948 and 1949. Israel became a nation. Israel became and... The blood moons occurred on Passover and the Feast of Trumpets. Not trumpets, uh, tabernacles. Interesting coincidence. I don't think so. Because you see, the next time there was a tetrad was in 1967. Are you kidding with me? 1967-68, what happened in 67-68? The Six-Day War. This is when the Jews regained the other part of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem became a unified city again. Je Jesus prophesied this. Jesus said in Luke 21 and verse 4, 
that Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So, in 1948, Israel became a nation, and we'll, we'll deal with that in detail in a moment. In 67, Jerusalem became a city, and then the most recent tetrad occurred in 2014 or 2015. I have a nice uh, image for you to have a look at. This is what it looks like. So you see, in 2014, there were two. By the way, if you don't know, Sukkot is Feast of Tabernacles. It's just the Jewish, they have many names for those feasts. So in 2014, don't worry about the dates underneath, except that it was 2014, it happened twice. And then in 2015, there was an eclipse, total eclipse. And then in 15 and 2015, Passover and Tabernacles again, we have the full blood moon. So the question is, well, what happened in 2014 and 2015 that is significant to Israel? The activity picked up in the holy temple that is to be used as the tribulation temple. What happened? All the um, artifacts and vessels necessary to perform everything that they've got to do is ready to go. And the uh, Sanhedrin began making the anointing oil to anoint the Messiah. And at this point, it's already finished. They also started training the priests in order to do the sacrifices. Because the sacrifices are going to recommence in this temple, in the um, uh, tribulation temple. Okay? <coughs> What's important about the tribulation temple? It's where the Antichrist is going to set up an image. He's going to desecrate the Holy of Holies, and he's going to compel the Jews to worship the image. That is when the Jews are going to find out that he's not the Messiah at that point. Okay? You see, why are the Jews going to follow the Antichrist is because very early in the tribulation commencement after the rapture, very, very early, the Antichrist will sign a contract, an agreement with Israel for peace with Iran and the other nations there, Middle Eastern nations. He will sign a peace treaty for seven years. But he's going to break it right in the middle after 42 months. He's going to break it when he sets up the image. That's when all hell's going to break loose on Israel and they, they are going to be persecuted like no, another, no, no other nation has ever been persecuted in the earth, ever. So, Jesus prophesied about the budding of the fig tree. And the fig tree in Scripture is Israel, and I can give you three or four scriptures for that. I don't want to do that. I don't have the time to do that. But the budding of the fig tree commenced in 1948 when Israel became a nation. So it was established, Israel was established as the homeland of the Jews in May of 1948. It's an astounding event. You must understand it's unprecedented in world history. It's never happened ever that a decimated ancient people managed to retain their identity even though they were scattered throughout the world for 20 centuries and then come back and be reestablished as the nation in their original homeland. Never happened. 
So this event was prophesied, specifically prophesied, and it happened exactly as foretold. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Let me just deal with the fact that Israel is the fig tree. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 32, Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see, say that, when you see, all these things, you know that it is what? Near, right at the door. When you see the budding of the fig tree, know that it's near, right at the door. I tell you this truth, this generation will certainly not pass away till, until all these things have happened. So the generation that sees the budding of the fig tree will not pass away until all these things have happened. Let me give you one more scripture or reference to Israel. You've read the scripture where it says, can a nation be born in a day? Yep. So let's have a look at that scripture. Um, Israel had really not existed um, as a separate nation. It wasn't there you know, for nearly 2,000 years. People were all over the world. But it was declared, Israel was declared as a sovereign state by the act of the United Nations on May the 14th, 1948. That day, the nation of Israel was born again. It was reborn, 1948. Isaiah 66 and verse 8 says, Who has ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such a thing? Can a country be born in a day? Or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet sooner, no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. Isaiah prophesied that the nation would be born in a day. And most of us for years and years and years have thought it was talking about Israel, the nation, the people being born again and being saved in one day. Come to find out it's not so. Because that's not what happened. The nation became a nation in one day. Now, another major sign, other than Israel becoming a nation uh, in one day, is the regathering of the Jews back to their homeland. There are hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Bible passages that predict the return of Israel to the land of Palestine from the nations of the world. I'll just give you two. Ezekiel, verse 20, verse 34, chapter 20, 34, says, I will bring you from the nations and gather you from the countries where you have been scattered. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, I will, uh, with an outpoured wrath, I will bring you back. This is what it's saying. And Isaiah 11, verse 11 in that day, the Lord will reach out His hand a second time. Everybody say second time. The first time was from their exile in Babylon. I've put those little notes in for you so that if you are taking pictures or whatever, you'll see. Do you remember they were exiled to Babylon for 70 years? Remember that? And then God brought them back. Well, the book of Isaiah says, I'm going to bring you back a second time. So it's not talking about that time. It's talking about a second time. And he said to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four quarters of the earth. In 1948, 
when Israel became a nation, there was approximately 650,000 people living there, 650,000 Jews. Today, there are over 10 million. That's a pretty massive increase, isn't it? So people are coming from all over the place. I saw a couple of years ago uh, on the news, I saw an airplane arrive from Ethiopia, Ethiopian Jews. Never heard such a thing. You know, you think all Jews look like Jews. But no, here comes these Ethiopians, black Jews. And uh, I, w- I would like to get onto There's so many things I could talk to you about. Because you talk about resurgence, you talk about the resurgence of the Hebrew language. They speak one language and you get taught to speak it. Cindy, how long does it take to, sp- to speak Hebrew? 21 days? In a month? About a month. They put you through and everybody in Israel speaks Hebrew. Everybody. Because of the attacks that they're having, you have to be able to communicate with each other. So they compel you to learn the language. So everybody there speaks Hebrew. It takes about 30 days. All right. I want to go there just to learn the language. Now, watch, this, watch how important this is. Watch how important this is and how this applies to us. In Psalm 102 and verse 16, it says, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Well, what is Zion? Zion is another name for Jerusalem. So when he builds up Jerusalem, he's going to appear in his glory. You know what happened? What President Trump did? He moved our embassy to Jerusalem. You know what that meant? Recognizing Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. When the Lord builds up Jerusalem, when they begin to recognize Jerusalem again for what it is. Two verses later in Psalm 102, same verse, same chapter. Verse 18 says, this shall be written for the generation to come. Now, that doesn't make any sense unless you look into the Hebrew. The Hebrew word for this phrase, the generation to come, means terminal generation or last generation. We are that generation. When God begins to build up Zion, begins to build up Jerusalem, begins the budding of the fig tree, He's going to come. Jesus is going to come in the last generation. The question we have to ask is, how long is the generation? How long is the generation? Because, um, you know, it, it, uh, some people say, well, it could be 40 years, right? could be 60 years. Or it could be that if we, if we go back and do an average of all the generations from Adam all the way through maybe to Christ, we average that out we might find the length of a generation. I'd like to go to the scripture to find the length of a generation. Yep? Yeah. All right. So Jesus said in Matthew 24, 34, I tell you the truth that this generation shall certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. This generation that sees the budding of the fig tree. In Psalm 90 and verse 10, it said the length of your days is 70 years or 80 if you have strength. So God stipulated the length of the generation between 70 and 80 years. That is how long he expects people to live. He actually said so. So, if that's the case, 70 to 80 years, then we are 73 years into the last generation because if we go from 1948, when the fig tree budded, to where we are now, 
it's 73 years. But the fig tree budded in May, May the 14th. So on May the 14th of this year, we'll be 74 years into the generation that lasts between 70 and 80 years. And that generation is the one that will see all things fulfilled. Are you with me now? Turn around and pinch your neighbor. Don't pinch yourself. Pinch your neighbor. How many can handle a little more? Okay. So now we're going to go to the feasts. We're going to start looking at the feasts of Israel. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 14. And God said, just read it again, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark the seasons and the days and the years. So let me remind you that the word season is the Hebrew word moed. And we said it means a feast, and it means appointed times or a sacred season. But the most accurate, more accurate translation is divine appointment. Divine appointments. So the word season says that these heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars, have been put there by God to serve as divine appointments, to let us know about divine appointments that God will have with His people. The Strong's Concordance that I use a lot, the number is 4150, says that Moed is an appointed or a fixed time or season, also a signal, an appointed beforehand, as appointed beforehand, appointed time or sign. That's what it says it is. So it's an appointment. So God has set an appointment, a divine appointment. Firstly with the people of Israel and then with the whole world. Because this, this is not just for the, for, for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. It's in the heavens. Everybody can read that book. Now, there's something else that God said about the feasts. In Leviticus 23 and verse 2, He said, Speak to the children of Israel, Moses, speak to them and say to them, The feasts of the Lord shall, uh, which you shall proclaim uh, will be a holy convocation. Um, these are my feasts. God says these are my feasts. They're not really Israel's feasts, they're my feasts. So when the feasts, the feasts were supposed to be a holy convocation. Well, what does that mean? I go back to the Strong's to get a definition for it. Convocation means a rehearsal. A rehearsal. Think of a dress rehearsal. You go through the dress rehearsal before you have the wedding. Don't you? So you know what's going to happen at the wedding and everybody's prepared. So everybody that's involved in the wedding, the wedding party, this would be the bridesmen, bridesgrooms, they come out. And they practice, they rehearse, so that it can all go smoothly the next day. Okay? This is a shadow or a type of the wedding. It's not the wedding. The wedding is coming soon after the rehearsal. Is it not? In fact, it comes the next day. So Moses, at the instructions of God, introduces seven feasts. The feasts of Passover, feast of unleavened bread. I've got them up there for you. The first fruits, Pentecost, trumpets, day of atonement, and tabernacles. In that order, that's the sequence they run in. These were scheduled appointments with God 
predetermined for him to intersect with human history. God said, I've put the moon and stars up there, and based on that, I am going to have feasts or predetermined intersections, divine appointments with mankind. And it will be determined by the position of the moon and the sun. Take a deep breath. If, now, <coughs> they were to be celebrated, these were to be celebrated on the Jewish calendar, not the Gregorian calendar that we work by. And the, the, the uh, Jewish calendar worked off the new moon and the full moon. That's how they determined their months. So if we really want to know where we are in God's prophetic history, God's time, we have to go back and look at the Jewish calendar. We have to work off God's calendar, not ours. Now, these seven feasts, four of them were celebrated in the, uh, uh, the spring of the year, and then three of them were celebrated in the fall of the year. Not our fall and our spring, Israel's fall and spring. Four of them. So, each of these feasts foreshadow Jesus the Messiah. And I'm going to show you that. Each of them do that. So the first four feasts that occurred in the spring are Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, Pentecost, and they all foreshadowed the first coming of Jesus. They all. We'll get in detail. I'll show you how that works. The second, the second group, the three that come in the fall, are going to foreshadow Jesus' second coming. I'm going to give you some insight. I didn't want to do this, but I'm going to give it to you now. I, can't, I, I was going to wait until next week. Jesus was crucified on the Feast of Passover. He was buried at the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He rose on the Feast of the First Fruits, and the Holy Spirit was poured out to the first believers on the Feast of Pentecost. Every major event of the Messiah's first coming occurred exactly, listen to this, exactly on the day corresponding to the feast. On the day. Based on God's pattern, I am fully convinced Jesus will return to resurrect the dead in Christ and to rapture his bride on the Feast of Trumpets. That is when the rapture will take place. I'm not telling you what year, but I'm telling you what month. I'm telling you what month. The Feast of Trumpets. You need to find out what month they celebrate the Feast of Trumpets on. You need to get ready. See, I used to believe Jesus could come every day, any day. I could say he could come now. It's not true. He can't. Because if he did, he would violate the pattern that God has set in order as a divine appointment. He can't violate that. He's going to meet it. Also, the rapture is not his second coming. His second coming will actually occur on the feast of the Day of Atonement. And that will begin the third and final feast, which is known as the Millennium Tabernacles. 
Because tabernacles is God tabernacling with man. All right, I got more if you want to stay. Okay. Just shout it's enough and then run out. Let's begin the first feast. Let's begin the first feast, Passover. Let me give you a historical understanding, and I'm sure most of you know historically how it happened, but I'm going to remind you for those who don't know and for those who are watching online that may not understand. So there were 10 plagues that Moses called down um, on the Egyptians when the Israelites were being held as slaves for 400 years. The 10th plague was the plague where the angel of death came and killed the firstborn, both man and animal. And what Moses said to the the Israelites, what you need to do is you need to find a pure, spotless lamb without blemish. Kill the lamb, take its blood, and paint the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel, the top part of your house. And those who did that, the angel of death came over and passed over them and nobody died. You see, Jesus said, I am the door. And you have to go through my blood to avoid the angel of death. Make it to heaven. There is so much more I want to go to. I, I just want to run to the next, but I, let me stay with this one, okay? Let me stay with this one. So, for 1,500 years since the Jews were taken out of slavery, they have celebrated the Passover feast on the 14th day of Nisan. God told Moses, your calendar is to start on Nisan. That's the month that you're supposed to start your calendar. So on the 14th day of Nisan, you're to sacrifice the lamb. That is, the Passover is to be sacrificed. It was the 14th day of Nisan that Jesus was crucified. The exact day. The 14th day of Nisan. A spotless lamb. So what they were doing was a dress rehearsal for the actual event. God was showing them by sacrificing the spotless lamb, an event that was to take place because that was to be their Messiah, but it was going to happen, and it happened 1,500 years later. But for 1,500 years, God kept telling them, this is what it means. This is what it means. How many understood it? How many followed it? Now let's go to Jesus' crucifixion. Mark chapter 15, verse 25. It was the third hour when they crucified him. Now, God's time clock, Israel's time clock, nine o'clock in the morning is the time for the morning sacrifice. So the third hour, the third hour would be nine o'clock in the morning. What was happening in the temple at nine o'clock in the morning? At nine o'clock in the morning, they took the lamb, the Passover lamb, that was to be sacrificed that day, and they tied it to the horns of the altar. That's what they did, okay? The exact time, 9 o'clock in the morning, it was the third hour of the day, 9 o'clock in the morning, when they tied Jesus to the cross. 
What were they singing? You know, they sang, the Jewish people sang at all these events. They sang what we, what we know as the Halal. The Halal was Psalms 113 to 118. So let me read to you what they were singing at that time. From Psalm 118, verse 27. God is the Lord, and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. They were singing, you are my God, I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. That was a very popular chorus not many years ago, that particular verse. Now, the sixth hour is midday, okay? Nine, sixth hour is midday. And then nine o'clock is three o'clock in the afternoon. You with me now? The ninth hour, ninth hour is three o'clock in the afternoon, which is the time for the evening sacrifice. That is when they did the actual sacrifice was three o'clock in the afternoon. So what happened from midday until three o'clock? From the sixth hour to the ninth hour. Let's read Matthew 27 verse 45. From the sixth hour, that's midday, until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus died at the same time the evening sacrifice was being killed. Exactly, three o'clock. So God the Creator predetermined the exact day and the exact hour on which His Son, the Savior of the world, would be sacrificed for our sins and the songs that would be sung at that time. Predetermined. Those, those uh, psalms are written by David. Now, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, and I read some of his, uh, some of his work back when I lived in South Africa. He lived at that time. He said approximately 2 million Jews came from all over the world to celebrate Passover. So they were in Israel. That's why they said there were so many people. If you read the day of Pentecost, there were so many people from all over the world, nations there at that time. Remember that? Okay. So there were about 2 million people. So <clears throat> when Moses instituted the Passover, there had to be one lamb per family. This meant with 2 million Jews, 250,000 lambs had to be sacrificed. 250,000 in the temple. This creates a massive problem, doesn't it? So in order to cope with the blood flow, they had canals that would channel the blood down to the lower levels. I know this is gross, but I've got to tell you, okay? To prevent it from flooding the temple, then the priests would take 60,000 gallons of water and flush the conduit, flush down the aqueducts to get the blood and water to flow. And it would flow out the uh, uh, massive flow of blood, just like a river of blood and water, would flow out the east side, which was the right side of the temple, would flow down and flood into the valley of Hinnom, which is known as the valley of blood. Blood and water would flow out. At that exact time, the Roman soldier pierced Jesus with a spear and blood and water flowed out of him. Spotless lamb, 
sinless sacrifice. Let me finish. The most striking Jewish expression of grief is the tearing of one's clothes, which is called kera. I think I have it up there. I'm not sure if I do. It was done by the mourner prior to the burial of their loved one. When they heard about the death, they would rip their clothes, called kera. It was an expression of a broken heart to expose the heart and because of the pain that they were suffering because of their loved one. In Matthew 27, verse 50, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. In that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split. And the Father tore his garment from top to bottom, demonstrating a broken heart as he mourns the death of his son. And he released the Holy Spirit out of the Holy of Holies in preparation for the day of Pentecost, the next feast. I'm going to stop there today. I think Pastor Cindy needs to preach next week again so I can continue my preparation. Father, we thank you. There's so much truth in your word. Father God, forgive us for being so ignorant. But we thank you, Lord, that we're alive by the, at this time and by the Holy Spirit. You're revealing to us what took place so our faith can soar through the roof. Lord, we have no greater faith than we have today because we've seen you work exact time, exact hour. Everything that you had planned came to pass. We have no doubt, Lord, that what you've planned for the future will come to pass and that Jesus will return as the Scripture says he will return. And, Lord, we prepare our heart for the time of the rapture, the resurrection of the dead. We're thanking you in advance. And, Holy Spirit, we believe for that glory and that power and that anointing that you promised as the latter rain is poured out, as the, as the fruits are, are ripened from the earth. But, Lord, continue to reveal to us, and open our hearts and minds to understand these truths that we might walk in the boldness of the hour in this generation and we might be looking with expectancy and understanding Lord of what you're doing in the earth we pray this in Jesus name and everybody said amen 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 praise the Lord thank you Lord Jesus now every eye closed before I let you go every eye closed if you haven't made Jesus Christ Lord of your life and you're not convinced by this sermon that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, you're in serious trouble. I believe the Holy Spirit is compelling, drawing, impressioning you that today is your day to make Jesus Lord because Jesus Christ is coming soon. And I promise you that what the Scripture foretells and prophesies that's going to happen is going to happen in exact detail. For right now, I implore you, give your life to Jesus. Turn your life over to God. Repent of your sin. Make Jesus Christ, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, and begin to live for Him. There's not much time. If you have never made this decision, and you want to do it today, while every eye is closed, every person is praying, just lift your hand wherever you are. I'm going to pray for you. 
And God is going to do a supernatural miracle for you right now in this moment. I'm going to ask one more time. I certainly don't have to beg. If you haven't made Jesus Lord, would you do it now? Do it now. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit yet, you love Jesus with all your heart, but you haven't received the fullness, the baptism that Jesus wants to give you, the Holy Spirit, you raise your hand. God wants to do it for you today. He wants to give you the gift of His Holy Spirit. All right, you may open up your eyes. Look up at me. Well, God bless you. Uh, Next week, I'll continue. There are two other signs that happened on the Passover feast that I haven't told you about. I will leave it for next week, and then we'll go on to the rest of the, the feasts that when Jesus fulfilled them when he came the first time. I promise you, going to blow you away. Invite somebody, okay? All right, God bless you. If you need prayer, I'll have the prayer team come forward, my ministers, those who are going to be ministering with me this morning. Ministering team, come forward. If you need prayer for any reason, healing, marriage, doesn't matter what you need prayer for, come forward. We'll be happy to pray for you.